is so good to be together, is it not? To those of you on the live stream, we miss you. We can't wait until the time that you're with us as well. We're going to be in Isaiah 66 uh, this morning, so you can go ahead and start turning there now. I am uh, so excited to, to bring this word to you today. And I have that task as a preacher when you've lived in a text for a really long time to calm down and not be super excited about it, to let everybody else catch up and be in the text as well. So I'm going to try to take this slow, let the words wash over us, and by God's grace, I think we're going to be inspired for our mission together through these words. So we're in Isaiah 66, uh, starting in verse 15 together. Uh, So let's turn there now. Isaiah 66, verse 15. For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger and fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice, shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and shall see my glory. And I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations. To Tarshish, Pool, and Lud who draw the bow. To Tubal and Javan. To the coastlands far away. That have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations, as an offering to the Lord, on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries, to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. May God bless the preaching of his word. These are shocking verses for the Israelites. And I wonder what was a time in your life when you were shocked. When your expectations were completely reversed in a surprising new discovery. Well, for Indianapolis Colts fans, that happened on August 25th of 2019. Andrew Luck, their franchise quarterback, their future secure, the heir apparent of Peyton Manning, Hall of Fame quarterback. Probably Hall of Fame quarterback. He was supposed to be in charge and guaranteeing their success for years to come. But on August 25th of 2019, he shocked the fan base with the following announcement. He announced his retirement. 
This is not an easy decision, he said. Honestly, it's the hardest decision of my life, but it's the right decision for me. The last four years or so, I've been stuck in a cycle of injury, pain, rehab, injury, pain, rehab. And it's been unceasing, unrelenting, both in season and off season. And I felt stuck in it. And the only way I see out is to no longer play football. It shocked the world. It was two weeks before the season started. And fantasy football players joined with Indianapolis Colts fans in agonized shock. And this scripture would have been even more shocking to the Israelite. Far more than a quarterback announcing retirement, our text today lays out a future where expectations are flipped upside down. But this time, in a surprisingly, unfathomably good way, Isaiah lays out a future of surprising purpose for his people. And today, church, God is calling us to live in the good of our astonishing purpose. God is calling us to live in the good of our astonishing global purpose. We're not just a local church reaching a local neighborhood. We've been given a worldwide commission by God to reach the very ends of the earth. And we're called to live in ways that reflect and function out of that truth. And we're going to look at that by examining Isaiah 66, which we just read. But honestly, we have to kind of be kind, please rewind, back to the beginning of the Bible as well. Uh, to be able to see how this story unfolded for Israel. So we're going to do that by looking at a global failure, our first point. Our second point will be a global promise in Isaiah 66, and then a global purpose as we apply that to ourselves today. So first, a global failure. So the story of the Bible begins with a narrative of creation, uh, with Adam and Eve particularly highlighted. And it's this beautiful, almost aria. It's poetically described in Genesis. But as soon as that melody is struck, a dissonant chorus begins, almost like Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, as sin enters the world and sin separates man from God. And it could have ended there and then. But mercy stayed the hand of God in a radical act of grace. And the mission began. God called then Abraham to follow him into an unknown land and promised that he would use him to mediate his blessing to the whole world. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God's plan for Abraham was not just for Israel. It was to mediate his blessing and presence through the whole world. But we know that promise was slow to come to fruition, especially because we're in a series on the life of Joseph. Joseph provided for his father and his brothers, and Israel ended up in uh, Egypt. And under bondage, they actually grew into a great nation. Apparently, the, the Israelites under bondage discovered what many of us have discovered under COVID lockdown. Many babies happened under COVID lockdown. I have a fourth born now because of COVID lockdown. Uh, and they were fruitful and multiplied in Egypt. And they became a great nation. And we know the story. God brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. But do we remember how they're described by Moses in Exodus twelve thirty eight? He says... A mixed multitude also went up with them. 
already, even in the Exodus, God was beginning to incorporate the whole world, or, or Egyptians, into the people of God. And as they traveled through the wilderness, they arrived at Sinai, and then Israel's mission was put into law, it was codified. In Exodus 19, it says, Now therefore, if you need indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now notice in particular that last verse. Israel was to function as a kingdom of priests, and that if they obeyed God's commandments, if they kept the covenant, they would mediate God's presence like a priest to the world. But that was hinging on and contingent upon them being holy, even as the Lord is holy. And the book of Judges shows Israel was an epic failure in this regard. Time and again, they fall away. And really, rather than things getting better, things got worse until David took the throne. Now in David, Israel was established as a united nation. And under his son, Solomon, this prediction of sort of Israel mediating the blessing of God to the nations really be began to come to fruition as we have the whole world flowing into Jerusalem to experience influence and affluence and power and even to wonder where's the wisdom of Solomon coming from. But that mission tragically was compromised almost as soon as it was solidified as the kingdom of priests imploded into schism. The prophets then are a united witness that, that this was a failure and that Israel became a byword and laughingstock, a disgrace to the name of God among the nations. But God would not be stopped. Though Israel was given the best seat at the table of God's world and soiled it by turning it into an altar to idols, God's mission would not be stopped. Mercy stayed his hand. And Isaiah tells us that a whole new realm, a whole new redemptive period of his pursuit of mission was going to come in the Messiah. And that brings us to our second point, a global promise. So in the context of this global failure, our verses come in Isaiah 66. And Isaiah 66's words come in that, that context of failure and the, the, the reason they're astonishing is actually not because they promised restoration to Israel. Verses 7 through 17 promise that, but that's throughout the Old Testament. What's astonishing is the global aspect to these verses. First, look with me in verse 18. We'll see there that this is a global promise. He's, he writes, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and see my glory. So this future promise is directed at all ethnicities, all tongues. And Yahweh says that they shall see his glory. And later that all flesh will come and worship and experience that worship together. That's glorious and it's astonishing. But that's not the only reason why it's astonishing. Because we now see a reversal in the way the mission is going to happen. Look with me in verse uh, in verse 18, Yahweh says he will gather all the nations and tongues by setting a sign among them. And then from this gathered group of survivors, what's he going to do? He's going to send some of them 
throughout the world. Whereas Israel was the focal point where the nations flowed towards to receive the blessing of God, now we see an outward flow, a complete reversal of survivors being sent throughout the world. Do you see that reversal? They will no longer have to just flow into Israel, but they're going to go. Go to closer towns like Tarshish, modern day Lebanon, further places like Tubal, which is Italy, and Javan, which is Greece, all the way to the coastlands far away to all the earth. This would have been an astonishing, complete reversal of what Israel would have expected. And that's not all, brothers and sisters. Look at what God promises in verse 20. They shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. So they are the survivors. They're going to bring these people as an offering to the Lord. But how does he refer to them? They will gather brothers. In Israel, the, the, the other ethnicities were strangers. They were outsiders. They were, by definition, second-class citizens. Now the stranger, the other, will become the brother. All nations will be in the family of God. No longer rele relegated to the outer courts of the temple or unclean by definition. Now they're family. It's astonishing. Think about it. If Jonah struggled with preaching repentance to the Ninevites, how much would have this knock the socks off the Israelites? They're brothers. And shockwave after shockwave, the astonishment continues. Even beyond brothers, Yahweh goes on to bestow on the gathered nations an elite status. Look with me in verse 21. What does he say? Some of them also I will take for priests and Levites. Now, John Oswald, writing about this verse, says, If a Gentile can become a priest... A Gentile cannot be excluded from anything. From anything. Now remember, not even every Israelite could be a priest, right? People died trying to become priests when they weren't supposed to be. Now we see the nations being given the most elite status in all of Israel. It would have been flabbergasting. Gentiles equals Gentiles, elite servants. Gentiles, the prophetic missionaries sent throughout the world. This was a complete reversal for the role of Gentiles. And then in verse 20, the gathered nations are compared to the holiest vessels that the priests would carry offerings in. Those who were unclean by definition now have become cleaner than the cleanest of Israelites. And nothing would stop this future gathering. Verse 20 indicates that horses and chariots and mules and dromedaries, you're like, well, I haven't heard that word in a while, will be plenty. What's that mean? These are all modes of transportation common at that time. And the point is that God's going to provide the means. He's going to get his mission done. There will be ample provision for the mission. And this was an astonishing and unstoppable promise of how the future mission would function. Guys, it's so groundbreaking that you won't find this predicted anywhere else in the Old Testament. Gentiles being sent throughout the earth to gather the nations is a groundbreaking revelation in this passage that the New Testament then unfolds. This is amazing. And Yahweh 
tells us that not only will he send them, the, the way he's going to gather the nations is by setting a sign among them in verse 19. So what's that sign going to look like? Well, these verses don't specify, and the Israelites probably been like, I don't know what that sign's going to be. But brothers and sisters, we have the privilege of living in the now of these verses, don't we? This isn't a future prediction. This is our present reality. And we know what the sign is. That brings us to our third point, our global purpose. So what's the sign Isaiah is referring to? Or rather, should I say, who is the sign? Jesus is the sign. He was promised in Isaiah 7.14, Emmanuel, the sign of God with us, born to bring about the salvation of the whole world. And his life was a signal to the nation that something incredible was about to happen. Throughout his recorded life, he encounters Gentiles, and far from dismissing them or ignoring them, he radically changes their life forever. Do you remember in the Gospels, when Jesus encounters Gentiles, what happens? He inspired the faith of the centurion when he healed his servant. He compelled the Syrophoenician woman's faith against all cultural norms. He forever changed the life of the Samaritan woman despite ethnic and religious hatred. He exercised the demons of the man of the tombs and gatherings. It's like every time he meets a Gentile that we see recorded, he does something epic for their life. The life of the nations was pulsing through him. It was a sign to the world that Jesus had come to provide hope to all people that God so loved the whole world. And through Jesus' earthly ministry, we, we should say that it was mostly directed at gathering the lost sheep of Israel. But his death on the cross and his interactions with these Gentiles showed the power of his work on the cross for the whole world. His body hung on the cross. And who was it who declared that this truly was the Son of God? It was the Gentile Roman centurion. His death shouted a message of worldwide implications. He died because God so loved the world. And Isaiah 52 predicted that Jesus would die and sprinkle the nations with his blood. He provided atonement for anyone who would trust in him, regardless of ethnic background, language, or geography. Jesus is the sign of the nations. He's the sign of the unstoppable power of God for all who will trust in him. He's the sign. He's the door of salvation. He's the light of hope to a dark and desperate world. And now, brothers and sisters, we, weak, fragile, sinful, we, we have the privilege of this good news of salvation to declare to the nations that good news has come. The sign of Christ stands as power for salvation. We are the survivors of the terrible wrath of God, each one of us dead in our transgressions and sins, should be bound for an eternity in hell, plucked from our path by the grace of God. As survivors, our bodies should be strewn across the battlefield with all those who've rebelled against God, but God in his mercy has gathered us to himself and he's sending us throughout the whole world 
as privileged prophetic missionaries to gather in all nations. Do you feel the astonishment? Do you feel the moment that you live in? You know, sometimes I can get caught up in, like, what's this week? Do you realize when we're living? We live in the good of this promise that astonished the Israelites and that should motivate and fuel the way we live our lives. Before he ascended, Jesus took time to talk to his disciples and by extension, the rest of us as well, when he unveiled the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What glorious words. Taking Isaiah 66 placing it upon the apostles, saying, you will go. You will be the survivors. And then the Spirit of God fell at Pentecost. The church began. And Philip began preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch and throughout Samaria. And the, the nations began to be gathered. And then Peter was shown by revelation that Cornelius, this Gentile, was actually clean. And he didn't need to become a Jewish person by culture to receive the gospel. And from that moment, do you know what happened? The mission exploded through the book of Acts. Churches were planted in Syrian Antioch, Sidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Thessalonica, Philippi, Corinth, Ephesus, Rome, Spain, to the very furthest reaches of the Roman Empire and beyond. Church history tells us that in India and China and Africa, the gospel spread by the end of the first century. And we brothers and sisters live in the now of that mission. Still, the gospel is going forth to the farthest corners of the earth. And this, is, this is one of the main reasons that God has not called us to go home to be with him yet. We have work to do in helping that message go to those who have not yet heard it throughout the world, both locally and globally. Our mission statement is that we exist to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel. But that proclamation is worldwide as well as local. We proclaim to our neighbors, we proclaim to our unsaved uh, family members, our co-workers, by inviting people to the bridge course. And, but we're also, to, go, co to along with that, listen to Jesus' call to make disciples of all nations. We're to watch and learn from the early church's zealous pursuit of mission near and far. So what does that look like? Anybody asking that question right now? What does it look like? Do we all have to go on expensive trips to other countries? Do we all have to be missionaries to other countries to be able to live in the good of these verses? Well, I would say the answer is no. Not all will or should go to the ends of the earth. Even our text today indicates that it's a group from within the broader group of survivors that will be sent. And beyond this, the New Testament and church history reinforce the fact that not all are called to go. In fact, we should prefer to work with those who are already being raised up by God in other places. We should know that God's working in unseen ways, known and unknown ways, um, even in their darkest places. We should be looking for people to partner with. Yes, living out the, the astonishing purpose in these verses may mean that some of our congregation will one day go. 
They may feel called to a place that's so insulated from the gospel that finding a local partner there from which to send the mission is, is next to impossible. But that's not the typical way that God's calling every single person in this room and watching this video today to be, a, be a living in the good of the astonishing purpose. What God is calling all of us to do is three things. Pray, have real relationship and affection for global partners, and give. Pray, relationship, and give. We see all three of those attributes in the relationship between the church in Jerusalem and Corinth. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, he's talking to the, the, the Christians in Corinth to try to help them to give to the Christians in Jerusalem who are experiencing extreme famine. He says in verse 13, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Do you see how Paul highlighted those three things? The generosity of your contribution for them? And while they long for you, do you see the affection and the relationship that was between these churches? Common people? And then the way that they pray for you? There was an active prayer, affection, and giving that was happening between the different churches as the mission went forth. That is the typical partnership that we're looking for here in Sovereign Grace. More than, than just merely financial, although that's important. More than merely a short-term mission trip, though that is very helpful at times. God's calling us as a church to be deeply partnered with those working in faraway locations through ongoing family relationship of awareness, affection, prayer, and generosity. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important for us to be in a local church and in a family of churches. Because we can't do this individually. We can't do this even just as a local church. We need to partner in a deep relationship like we do in Sovereign Grace throughout the world. And we should thank God for Sovereign Grace and Covenant Mercies that provide for us these relationships. Think of Wilbrod Chanda in Dola, Zambia. We know Wilbrod. We love Wilbrod. We long to see Wilbrod. We pray for Wilbrod. We, by extension, know the folks in Zambia by, by him. And they know us through Doug as he travels there and reports to them. There's an affection and a cultivation of awareness that's there, isn't there, as we receive regular updates. That's the same approach that we need to take with our other mission partners in Sovereign Grace as well. The opportunities for partnership are like insanely exciting. I'm, t I'm telling it real. I was, I was born into this church, <laughs> right? It was a while ago now. But now is the most exciting time to be cultivating your awareness in our family of churches. It's ridiculous what God is doing in our weak group of churches. He is exploding the growth of, of, of what God's doing in our churches worldwide across the globe. But we need to do the work of cultivating our awareness. So what we wanted to do is actually give you an update from a few of our mission partners to help steward that, to help you say, oh, I want to know what's happening. I want to be praying. I want to even potentially be giving to these people as we do this mission together and live in the good of our global purpose. 
In this video, there's three different people. David Del Castillo is the first one. You might remember him from last year. We prayed for him on the stage with his father. Uh, they planted a church in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. We've sent short-term missions to Bolivia many times in the past and have a long history with churches there in Bolivia. The second one is featuring Michael Granger, who's uh, just recently planted a church in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Uh, and we're really excited about what God's doing in his church and also as he reaches a lot of Somali people. Um, and also because he's in close proximity to our Covenant Mercies location there in Ethiopia. And then last uh, but not least, uh, perhaps most familiarly, we'll hear from Sean and Ruthon Taylor, uh, who you guys know because uh, Sean had an internship here for a year, and he's helped Joel plan, uh, Bain plant a church in Jamaica. So let's take a time now just to hear this update from them. The opportunities for partnership are so exciting, aren't they? These are real people that we know. And I, I just want to encourage you, friends, just, just this, this year, we were able to give $2,500 to uh, David Del Castillo to help him offset his COVID challenges in his plant. We were able to send Michael Granger $5,000 to fund his book and album project. We've been able in the past to, to support Sean Taylor's internship. We've been able to send a, a gift of $10,000 to a church in Costa Rica uh, so that a pastor can move from bivocational to full-time ministry to care for his flock. How? Because of your giving. Thank you, church, for the way that you give to this local church. It's, it, it continues to make your pastors filled with joy to be able to be stewarding our mission together and seeing the gospel go forth. And I want to encourage you, church, to cultivate your awareness of our global partners. In Paul's day, they could do this with a, a pen, ink, scroll, a courier. We have the technology of having newsletters arrive in our inbox to give us global updates of what's going on and how to pray. I want to encourage you to steward your global consciousness, your awareness, so that your affection and your prayer and your giving can rise as you are living out this astonishing global purpose. And I want to give you a real practical way to do that today. Dave Taylor, one of the pastors in Sovereign Grace, oversees our emerging nations. And he puts out a newsletter every uh, month that gives us updates on global work. And it's a ready-made prayer list for you. All you have to do is hit open on the email and you know what to pray for. And I understand the apprehensions of signing up for newsletters. I have the fastest unsubscribed fingers in the Northeast. But this is worth it. If we don't cultivate our global awareness of our mission partners, we aren't going to have the longing, affection, prayer, and generosity that God calls us to in our mission. So I actually want to give you an ability to do that right now, to sign up for that newsletter, that Emerging Nations. You'll see under your uh, chair today, there's a little slip of paper. And it has a QRS code where if you take your smartphone, scan it with your camera, it'll take you directly to that web page uh, where you can just hit subscribe. And once a month, you'll get an update uh, that, that uh, tells you what's going on in Jamaica, what's going on in Bolivia, what's going on in India and these different places so that we can strive alongside our brothers and sisters. So yeah, feel free to even do that now just to, just to scan it. Um, and make sure that you have that for later and just click that, that, that right now.
I want, also want to talk just quickly. I know we're running out of time here, uh, so I'm going to truncate whatever I had to say else. But I just want to talk to, like, the younger folks here. Maybe not the, like, five-year-olds, but you can listen to if you want. Um, listen, we're in an interesting moment in our denomination's history where our founding generation is living their lives out extremely well and living strongly and loudly for the Lord throughout their life. But we're in a moment of transition where brothers and sisters, we need as the younger generation to rise to the call of mission. This is why Jared Mellinger has been asked to step onto the Sovereign Grace leadership team. Not because we don't have any founders left in our movement, but because our founders know that it's time to start building into the next generation to take the mantle of responsibility. Brothers and sisters from the, the next generation, we need to hear that call to generosity. If you're like me, you're really motivated when someone specifically asks you to give, but when you receive an email or like a mass mailing thing, sometimes it doesn't come across the right way. These are real people. Real people who are, are an opportunity for us to give to when we give to Sovereign Grace. We're not just giving to you a organization structure. We're, we're giving to you the very essence of our mission together as we try to reach the ends of the earth. So let's hear that call as the next generation to take that mantle of responsibility, to pray, to long in affection for these people, and to give. Brothers, long, brothers and sisters, long ago, God predicted in these verses that there would be a day when he would send survivors throughout the earth. And we live in that moment now. By God's grace, let's live in the good of that. And let's recognize that we know the ending to the story. Revelation 7 that says that there will be a gathering too large to number. Where all nations and languages and tribes and peoples will gather with a united voice. Declaring that salvation belongs to our God. And we can step into this mission together, brothers and sisters, knowing it's not dependent on our strength. Knowing that God, COVID, anything else, division, will not stop his mission. And we can step into that. And by grace, let's do that together today. Amen? Amen.